0: A new day in the Big 12 is here. The epicenter of the conference for the next two days will be Arlington, Texas, the home of Big 12 Media Days. Full coverage right now on College Football Live. Day one of the College Football Live broadcast schedule is underway. Welcome inside. We'll be with you pretty much every single weekday until January 8, 2024, when they crown a champion in Houston, Texas. Houston hosting the championship for the first time ever. In fact, the only other time the CFP championship was in the state of Texas was in Arlington back in 2015. We're going to go to Arlington in just a minute. But first, we're going to start with the biggest story in all of college football and really the biggest story in all of sports right now. And that is, of course, the firing of Pat Fitzgerald as Northwestern football coach out after an investigation into hazing inside the Wildcats football program. Fitzgerald, the face of the university to many, has lawyered up in what can only be described as an acrimonious saga that continues to roll on. Fitzgerald was only suspended two weeks last Friday initially before the termination came on Monday. R.P. Samuel joins College Football Live with more. Pete, there was a second team meeting last night in which the school president, Michael Schill, and the AD met with players. What can you tell everybody about what went down at that meeting?
1: Yeah, Zubin, sources told me the meeting lasted more than 45 minutes, and quite frankly, it was contentious. The players had an airing of their grievances against what happened to their head coach, Pat Fitzgerald. A a lot of those players came to Northwestern to play for Pat Fitzgerald, and they had questions about the order, why initially Michael Schill had suspended Pat Fitzgerald for two weeks and then reversed course and ended up firing them. Ultimately, Zubin, the players wanted two things. They wanted clarity, and they're seeking continuity. All of the players on Northwestern's roster have the ability to enter the transfer portal and transfer without penalty in the next 30 days. And before they make a decision on that, they need to know what's going to be next for Northwestern. Zubin, sources have told me today we'll likely know in the next 24 hours who Northwestern's interim coach would be. The leading candidate for that is David Braun, the defensive coordinator who came this January from North Dakota State. Braun has been acting as the head coach. He spoke at the meeting last night. And he fits the archetype for what the program is looking for going forward. And that is keeping things the same so players know what to expect and don't have to throw themselves to another program that would start camp in the next three weeks.
0: We'll wait to see what happens here in the next day. Their first game of the season is going to be Sunday, September 3rd. Standalone national television against Rutgers. So even if Northwestern wanted to hide, there's going to be no place to hide. Pete, thank you very much. Now, you might suspect the reaction has been coming fast and furious. Of course, it has. Our Michael Wilbon graduated from Northwestern University in 1980. He was on the board of trustees there. He gave the commencement speech at his beloved alma mater in 2010 and had this to say about everything happening on his TV show, PTI, yesterday.
2: And When you talk about the responsibility of a coach, you're talking about to the parents who send their child at 17 or 18 years old, as you did, to, to that campus. And that's any campus, not just ours, but we're talking about mine now. I'm an alum. I've been a trustee for close to 15 years. I worked for that student newspaper, the Daily Northwestern, proudly. And I think they did a hell of a job. And I've told some of their reporters that in the last couple of days. Let me get to the tough part. Pat Fitzgerald has been the face of Northwestern football. He's been the most famous person in the athletic community we've ever had. Yep. In well over 150 years, Pat Fitzgerald, he raised the profile of the football team and the program to a point where now that he's been fired, other coaches are calling people like me saying, I want that job. That's not a bad job, even with all that's going on. But Frank, you're right about where we had to get. When I heard about this Friday, I mean, it it killed me. It devastated me. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm a trustee, as I said. I go there, as you know, all the time to events. Pat Fitzgerald is somebody that I have gotten to know. But the school couldn't move past it. And it wasn't any longer about if he knew, he says he didn't, or when he might have known, when people say he must have. You get past that. This was not a tornado. This was a tidal wave. And opinion inside the university and outside of it bombarded us. And it became clear we could not move on with status quo. It never should have been a two-week suspension. So that is Wilbon there with Frank Isola
0: yesterday on PTI. Let's just run down the timeline. I'm sure many of you have been following. Northwestern launching an investigation back in January. I mean, this was seven months long after a review. Fitzgerald suspended for two weeks without pay. Banned from Team Practices, anything off campus. That was actually last Friday. Then the student newspaper, which you just heard Michael Wilbon reference, with some incredible reporting, publishing some details of the hazing allegations that resulted in the university deciding to fire Fitzgerald. That came on Monday, and that clearly changed the tenor of everything as we welcome in our guests. I want to quickly mention, because Northwestern is a private school, they didn't have to actually release everything like a public school was. They gave an executive summary, so that's just an important detail if you're wondering why everything hasn't been spilled. We are joined by the 1989 Heisman Trophy winner, the one and only Andre Ware, and the former University of Texas star, Stam Acho. It is great to have you both here. I want to start with your reaction on the Fitzgerald firing. Andre, let's begin with you.
3: Uh, disappointment, Jubin. It, it's one of those that where, you know, I'm a fan, a fan of college football, a fan of every team uh, in college football as we cover them through the year. And if you would have asked me, you know, a handful of teams, if this a story like this would come out about them, there's no way I would have pointed to a Pat Fitzgerald-led uh, program. Uh, it's disappointing from that aspect. It's disappointing for kids and, and parents that I know that have uh, attended the universe, uh, uh, Northwestern. And uh, you know, when you you look at it, where do they go from here in terms of a season? It's a bad season last year, uh, almost coupled with one almost guaranteed to happen when the leadership of your program is... Is, uh, is gone. And so it, it uh, it's a bad situation for everybody involved. The longest, the longer it went on without having some type of decision was uh, was just was just un- unbelievable.
4: Yeah, and for me, I think about the welfare of the student-athlete, Andre. That's mm-hmm. what I go back to. I think of, we talk about the maybe mismanagement of the suspension turning into the firing. But before we even get to that, I think about what, what, would my experience have been like if I were in that locker room if I were one of the players who experienced some of the allegations that have been uh, alleged and so for me I go back to the student athlete experience and how I wouldn't want to be in that locker room if what we read actually happened I've heard players say we support coach Fitzgerald and I understand that But you haven't heard too many players say that what happened wasn't actually true. And so that's the part for me, if you're a recruit going to that school, wanting to go to Northwestern, if you're a current student athlete, mind you, they're they're now allowed to have the ability to transfer. Now there's been a change in head coach. And so uh, that's what I think more about is the welfare of the student athlete and how they were let down in this scenario.
0: Guys, I want to quickly mention this. Obviously, you guys have been in so many teams, so many huddles, so many camps. We're going to have some clarity, as Pete Dammel told us, in the next 24 hours on who will be leading the program on a short-term basis. But, Andre, let's start with you again here. How do you just start putting one foot in front of the other now, knowing that by, at this time last week you were just preparing for a regular season?
3: Yeah, Jim, uh, it's one of those where you have to – find some leadership first and foremost you've got to name Sam somebody that can lead the program at least for the immediate future at least for the 2023 season and that's going to be a coach that's already on the staff because nobody else can come in really know what's going on at the the 12th hour the final hour and and try to put this back together pick up the pieces and move on so it's going to be one of the coaches that's currently I would imagine on staff
4: yeah there's a new defensive coordinator just came in in January who has been outside of the program so Uh, Some people may point to him as he's currently the liaison as far as deciding who's going to run the program. But I think about not only who's going to be the head coach to lead this team, but also I go to the locker room. Where's the locker room leadership? And I've heard the statement made by the players saying, hey, this is the entire Northwestern football team. This is what we we believe. But also I think there needs to be some better leadership and accountability within the locker room from players saying, hey, if this happened, which studies studies show that it did, This can no longer happen. No matter the type or level of hazing, we have to eradicate it in our locker room.
0: Fellas, stand by. we got so much more to talk about on this story and the reason you guys are down in Arlington for Big 12 Media Days. That's on the way here on College Football Live. All eyes on Texas. They're the preseason favorite again. Can they live up to the hype before they scoot away for the SEC? And while two teams are leaving, four are arriving, including Houston and BYU. How quickly can they adjust to their new digs. We'll talk about it next on College Football Live. We're back. College Football Live. Day one of two at the Big 12 Media Days in Arlington, Texas. All 14 head coaches and their players speaking over the next two days. Not going to be 14 schools for long, though. I think we know That All right, so let's just kind of run through the storylines. 14 for a year as they welcome in on July 1, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. However, Oklahoma and Texas, as you well know, are off to the SEC in 2024. According to the FPI, the two teams on the 2023 farewell tour considered the favorite to win it. The Longhorns lead the way, followed by the Sooners, Texas hasn't won a conference title, though, since 09. After the last two seasons, the Big 12 the only conference to produce multiple Associated Press top five teams that started the year unranked. Last season, obviously, TCU finished number two. Two years ago, Baylor got to number five. We'll see if we get another. And what's interesting is how much this league has changed under the stewardship of Brett Yormark, who's essentially been on the job for about a year. He has created a ton of of noise and was asked earlier today at the Big 12 Media Days by our Chris Button about a numerous topics, including where the Big 12 stands in the pecking order.
5: I'm not really competing with the other Power 5 conferences. You know, I want the Big 12 to be the v- best version of ourselves. And if we can do that, we're in a great place. So it's not about ranking us within the Power 5. But I can tell you this. There's been no better time to be a part of the Big 12 than right now, and um, this thing is going to grow. It's going to move forward in a positive way, and I'm really excited about our future. I feel like I've been talking about <laughs> expansion for a year now. When I when I said we were open for business last year, I think people took that as my God, you know, this guy's new and he wants to go and and disrupt. I guess in some respects, but. You know, indicative of my opening comments today, open for business was that we were going to explore every and all possibility to grow revenue, to diversify our conference, and to do things that hadn't been done before. And we did a lot of that. Relative to expansion, I said coming out of our spring business meetings at the Greenbrier that we have a plan. And we have a plan for expansion. And I'm not going to really address it today. You can ask me, <laughs> but I'm not really going to address it. We do have a plan. And hopefully we can execute that plan sooner than later. Um, But as I've always said, I love the composition of this conference right now. Mm -hmm. The excitement the four new members have brought to this conference has been incredible. And if we stay at 12, we're perfectly fine with that. If the opportunity presents itself where there's something that creates value and and aligns well with our goals and objectives, um, starting with the board, then we're certainly going to pursue it.
0: And much to his chagrin, he was asked about it over and over and over again, even though he said, I wasn't going to talk about it anymore after talking about it with Chris Button. But you completely understand the fellas are back. Andre Ware, Sam Macho. Sam, let's start with you. Obviously, you have a deep history in this league. Of course, Andre played at Houston, new member to the league. Um, where do you see the state of the Big 12 right now? Just a reminder to viewers, in 2010, this league was on the verge of rubble. So in some cases, your mark is right. The league absolutely is in a better place. But where do you see the state of affairs right now, Sam?
4: Well, I think the Big 12 is in a perfect and ideal position, especially with Brett Yormark at the helm. I remember last year at Big 12 Media Day when he made those comments saying we are open for business. And people were expecting him to say some intriguing comments this time around. But more importantly, he's actually shown what they have done. Number one, the TV deal for the next seven years. years—like He's secured that. While the Pac-12 is trying to figure out what they're going to do, he's almost backdoor and got a TV deal. Then number two, we talked about accelerating the departure of Texas and Oklahoma. So, obviously, if, if you listen to him talk, he'll talk about those teams. Yes, they're currently a part of the Big 12, but they're leaving. They could have stayed even longer. Now he's got the 12 teams that he wants and the open for business idea, talking about a halftime show, talking about that regional combine, the Big 12 combine, a partnership with the NFL. I think that Brett Yarmark is actually making great decisions to get the Big 12 in a prime position, not, in the, not just in the expansion conversation, but also in the entire college football landscape.
3: Yeah, I think the Big 12 has has tremendous leadership with Commissioner Yormark, and, you know, he's just different. He's not some stiff in a suit. He, you know, you can actually go hang out with him. You know, he's pretty cool. His drip's not bad either, you know, when you look at it. So the, the leader, from a leadership standpoint, I think they're in, it's in tremendous hands, this conference. Uh, he wanted to get younger, hipper, and cooler. I think they've done that, just the, the change in, uh, in, in the marketing in terms of the Big 12 in and of itself. The video that came out today that they released here that he introduced, uh, all of it kind of lines up with the direction in which he wants to go with this conference.
4: And even to your point, he talked about this social media following. They've grown their social media followers. One of the comments he made as well was, we want to be uh, more involved. You talk about being hip youth, yeah. more urban. We want to be involved with some of this new generation, have them understand that even if even if you're not watching the games per se on TV, the Big 12 is here to stay. We are, quote, open for business, and we're actually going to be doing things that are going to innovate and really change the landscape of college football.
0: Agreed with everything that you just said. And I'll also add, he's the one commissioner that is uh, acknowledging the existence of college basketball, too, which I think a lot of sports fans like. He's big on college hoops. Guys, stand by. I want to run into one school, Sam, that you're going to know spectacular. That's Texas. Longhorns are going to try to snap a program record. 13-year drought without a conference title. I mentioned 09 was the last one. 54% chance to win the Big 12, according to the FBI. Only Ohio State has a better chance to win. It's conference. We'll see. Texas will lean on Quinn Ewers to lead him after Steve Sarkisian named him the starting quarterback. Ewers obviously got injured last year in the game against Alabama. Highly rated recruit from Texas showed a tremendous amount of potential. Arch Manning is going to wait. And offensively, Texas could be the strongest it's been in three years under Sark. They got all those linemen back to protect Ewers. However, he's not going to be able to hand off To Bijan Robinson is yours. Bijan is in the NFL. Replacing him will not be easy.
1: Last call in the Big 12. The Longhorns are the Big 12 favorites. Uh, The identity of your offense, Steve, is really going to have to evolve this year. Bijan Robinson, you lose a generational talent. Walk me through a little bit of how you see the offense uh, growing in his absence.
6: Yeah, I think I think it's that's really fair to say when we, you know, you go back after every year, you try to evaluate yourself and what do you need to do and how do you get better? And I felt like last year we almost became too one dimensional, too reliable on Bijan and Roshan for what they're able to do running the ball. And we felt like we had to evolve our passing game to get back to where I'm accustomed to doing it. Um, we had a lot of youth. We had a lot of youth on the offensive line, but we are now returning five offensive line starters, you know, two of which were true freshman year ago. Quinn in year two in the system, I think his comfort level with what we do, and then building on the weapons that he has around him. Year one, uh, I would have loved for him to be able to watch somebody else play and learn from kind of their mistakes, but he kind of got thrown to the fire, Uh, and I give him a lot of credit for standing in the fire. There were some great moments, there were some tough days, but at the end of the day he stood tall and he represented the university really well. Uh, but generally and historically year two in our system is where you take that, that, that big step and we're seeing it out of him. We're seeing it in his preparation. Um, his, he looks in great physical condition. He's throwing the ball well. His understanding of what we're doing is at a high level and the important part of that is not just what we're running but how it fits based on the defenses that we're getting and anticipating where those balls are getting thrown. And so we're seeing that evolution of him right now and super excited for him this fall. In last fall camp, I was walking up to the line of scrimmage like, oh my gosh, what's, the, well, I can't even remember the play. But you know, now I'm, I'm so much more comfortable. You know, I'm able to kind of tell the guys what, what they have if they aren't remembering or whatnot. And you know, I'm able to, you know, see the front. You know, last year I was not you know, advance enough to kind of look at the front and then kind of check everything and be able to snap the ball on time. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of wheels turning last year, and this year it's slowing down, and you know, we're kind of cruising, which is, it's really nice.
0: We should mention there's so much attention in and around Texas that one of the biggest offseason storylines was Quinn cutting his hair. You might remember he had the big flowing locks <laughs> last year, but I, I, I kid you not. You guys know this. This is actually a big story. They said it was more serious when he cut his hair. All right, so let's talk seriously about yours. Obviously, Andre, you played the position in the state of Texas. You understand the pressure <laughs> that is involved, and this guy has just had pressure since he got to Ohio State, the transfer to Texas. Growth-wise, if this guy stays healthy, that's a big if, What do you see out of them?
3: Oh, I see. A, I, I think the future's bright for Quinn Ewers in terms of what what, uh, what he can prove, what he can do on the field. He's a tremendous thrower of the football, a tremendous passer, anticipates well. He's got all the arm strength, can make all the throws. And he's a high school kid from within the state of Texas. His expectations are nothing to him. I mean, he he knows how to handle the pressure. You don't go to Ohio State and then turn around, backdoor, and then transfer back to Texas. He's not dodging uh, pressure. He's actually embracing it, which is something that Longhorn fans should be excited about from their quarterback. He, I, I think, Sam, that uh, he's the answer. He's just got to be protected. Give him a little bit of a running game. And the main thing, stay healthy this season.
4: And what stood out to me the most, even in just talking with him today, it wasn't just the poise, but he had this calming presence about him. I called their first game last mm-hmm. year. I called Quinn Ewer's first game last year. Got a chance to sit down with him and inter- interview him. And, and you could tell it was a huge, big moment. But this year, and you, we joked about it, right, the hair and more maturity. But there is an idea of maturity emotionally that I've seen, but also physically. His body's grown a little bit. He's growing into that more mature frame that will probably keep him healthier. And then you talked about it, all the arm talent in the world, but even more importantly, the talent around him. A.D. Mitchell, the transfer from Georgia, the yeah. 6'4 receiver, tallest on the roster. Isaiah Nayor, remember last year he transferred from Wyoming. Hopefully he'll be healthy. And then Xavier Worthy, some people are projecting him to be a first-round pick, was targeted 114 times last year. There are so many weapons at receiver, this is one of the deepest receivers room, rooms in the entire college football landscape. And so, I think with Quinn at the helm, Texas is in a great position.
3: I don't know about you two, but I got a little jealous with that picture that came out about oh. the quarterback room. <laughs> you know, I felt like I need to go get in shape, get some running in or something, man. That was unbelievable. It's
4: never too late, Andre. It's never too late. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is.
0: Uh, from unbelievable to believable, again, predictably, even though they haven't really done that much to earn it, the only team to me that gets the benefit of the debt every year in the preseason is Oklahoma because of what they've done. But again, it's Texas that is the favorite to win. We mentioned it at 54%. Sam, let's start with you. You know the program inside and out. What are your expectations in a real critical year here for Steve Sarkisian?
4: Well, expectations are to win the Big 12. I mean, offensively, when you talk about talent, even listen to Dana Hogerson, the head coach of Houston. He's saying, man, Texas, yes, they were picked to win. And talent-wise, you would say that's why. They're one of the most talented rosters in all of college football. Points to Steve Sarkeesian's recruiting. right. right record over the last few years. But more so, they're actually trying to prepare for the SEC. So you talk about big bodies, guys like Cam Williams, who's 6'4", 360 pounds, offensive lineman. Talk about all the returning starters. Kelvin Banks, who was a true freshman last year, started at tackle. Now he's a sophomore. Christian Jones, a tackle 6'7", 330 pounds. There is size on this roster, which was one of the things that was missing. And so I think I expect them to succeed This year, the idea would be to win the Big 12. I expect that for them. But also, I'm looking more towards next year in the SEC. What will they look like? And I think that Sark has a good idea of what that looks like, obviously, coming from Alabama. Sark has
3: done a tremendous job in terms of the recruiting trail. They have always had big athletes. They've always had speed. They've always had co- – it, it's all been there. And every year it seems like we're at this spot saying yeah. this is the year Texas yeah. wins the Big 12 and, and propels itself into the college football playoff, yet we're still waiting. And so, for me, I'm not ready to spend my money and say this is the year for Texas. I'm kind of in a wait-and-see pattern uh, because they've they've made me. Uh, view it. View this program is that. I'm on record as saying it's the best job in all of college football. Sark's is is kind of benefiting from that because with the recruiting on the recruiting trail, but you've got to get it done at some point on the field. Uh, And and that's that I believe will be this year.
0: Yeah. Last thing I would mention, we put up the schedule September 9th at Alabama. Obviously that'll be Sark going back to Alabama. And of course, last year when the game was played in Austin, that was really Quinn Ewers coming out party. We'll see if maybe they go down there this time, get it done. And if they do, they will be the runaway favorite to go back into conference play and win. The Big 12, September 9th. That's going to be a huge game, second game of the season, on the way here on College Football Live. Back to the biggest story in the sport, and really maybe the sports world, the firing of Pat Fitzgerald. So what's next for Northwestern? Who could be in the hopper? And what gets put on hold with his firing? Plus, Houston and BYU, half of the four entering the league. How they might fare in their new conference when College Football Live continues. We are back on College Football Live. Biggest story, maybe in the sports world, the firing of Pat Fitzgerald, arguably the greatest player in Northwestern history, inarguably its greatest coach, no doubt. Terminated Monday after a seven-month-long investigation into hazing allegations, rocking the university to its foundation with the face of the school in the center of the storm. And at the center of this story from the very first minute was our Adam Rittenberg, who joins us on College Football Live for more, uh, what can you tell us about the vacancy and what they're thinking about moving forward here, Adam?
7: With well, Zubin, short term, I expect an interim coach to be named at Northwestern by the end of the week, should be happening in the next day or so. Uh, They've obviously had discussions internally with David Braun, who's a new defensive coordinator brought in from North Dakota State, who's essentially managing the program right now, one of five new assistants that Pat Fitzgerald hired. So he would be the likely internal choice as interim coach, but they could also bring in somebody who's not working or perhaps from the outside to handle this season. I think beyond this year, they'll certainly do a full search for Pat Fitzgerald's successor. Derek Gragg is the athletic director. He's also under some fire for his handling in this situation. Also, something you know, baseball has a, a bit of a scandal going on at Northwestern as well. So who ultimately makes the hire to replace Fitzgerald is, is a question right now. But I think we'll have an answer on the interim coach for the 2023 season in the next 24 to 48 hours.
0: Indeed, it looks to be Coach Braun, you and Pete Thamel, who was with us earlier today, also mentioned that. That guy is in the mix and probably going to happen here in the next day. The school, Adam, has plans for an $800 million stadium renovation. Um, Pat Fitzgerald has been the tip of the spear for everything that's been happening athletically in terms of enhancements at the university. How will Pat's firing affect that sort of capital project with that much money on the line?
7: It's a huge project. And even before this, Northwestern was you know, talking with the city of Evanston, trying to get approval for this transformative $800 800 million dollar stadium project, the redo of Ryan Field. You know now everything from talking to sources, you know, is up in the air. Uh, six faculty members sent a letter to University President Michael Schill and others, you know, asking for this project to be put on hold. I spoke with one of the faculty members and she told me, listen, there are bigger things going on at this university. There's cultural issues to address. We have to get our own house in order before we build an 800 million dollar new one. And maybe the biggest factor, Zubin, is Pat Ryan and his family. Their name is on the stadium now. Their donation is essentially funding this project. We haven't heard from them. Pat Ryan was a huge supporter of Pat Fitzgerald throughout his playing and coaching career. If if they are going to pull their money or, or not support this going forward, it's very much in jeopardy.
0: No question. We also showed you some video while Adam was speaking of a gleaming practice facility that was built there a few years ago, and that was largely built on all of the sweat equity of Pat Fitzgerald As well, so much still here to suss out. That's our Adam Rittenberg. Adam, thank you for the very latest on that. All right, let's discuss this a little bit further. I want to mention this is our first college football live of the season. And even though the story really percolated from Friday to Monday, our guys haven't really had a chance to talk about it. So let's bring the fellas in and let's talk about it. Sam is back with us. Dusty Dvorak played at Oklahoma. He's with us. Fellas, I know college football fans have been talking about this since it broke but this is your first opportunity to really talk about it dusty your initial thoughts on the fallout of the firing of pat fitzgerald
8: well, i mean it's just an it's an awful situation all the way around i mean first you think about you know the the people with, that are, had these allegations you know that what happened to them what they went through the culture that was you know that's been put all throughout the media about this locker room. It's, it's almost unthinkable uh, the stuff that you read was going on, especially as I've called games and I've been around Pat Fitzgerald and I would think of him as a man of integrity, a man of honor, right there at the very top of any coach in all of college football. So to, to read some of these things and hear some of the things that have coming out of what was transpiring under his watch, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because it just doesn't, fully add up. I mean, and I think that there's a lot of layers to this, but I think clearly the Northwestern administration, they botched this from the get-go. I mean, you release a long, monthly, long investigation, and the findings yield a two-week suspension, and then some, you know, a couple days later, then it goes to a complete firing and expulsion. There's a lot of uh, things that don't add up. But the thing I think about the most is those players within that locker room, the ones that clearly that were hazed or had things done to them poorly. And then obviously the other players in the locker room that didn't have anything to do with this. And they're sitting there going, wait a minute, what's going on? There's just a lot of layers and just a shocking revelation that we've seen transpire there at Northwestern.
4: And I think about the fallout that comes after this, right? I think about recruiting. There's already been three recruits who have decommitted from the school. I think about if I were a recruiter, if they're a, a high schooler who was getting recruited by Northwestern, and you actually read the report, not just the executive summary, but the actual report or the, the, what the, the people from the Daily Northwestern wrote, you might say, I don't want to go to that school. And And so I think about Those two things, and last piece I think about as well is the option now for players to transfer. One of the new rules is that if if there's a head coaching change, the players have 30 days from that head coaching change to transfer schools. And So will there be players in that locker room that now want to transfer? There's going to be so much that's going to happen. But – the fact that the report is now public, at least some of the what was accused is now public, I think it changes the perception for current players and even recruits who want to go to Northwestern.
8: Yeah, and I think what you said is exactly right. The transfer portion of this is very real. We know how much you know the transfer portal has changed the game in college football. I mean, we are weeks away from the start of training camp, and you literally have – players on the Northwestern roster that may be elsewhere here very, very soon. So this isn't over. I do think Coach Braun makes a lot of sense. He just got there in January from North Dakota State. He wasn't a part of whatever was going on. New face, new voice. I think it makes sense for him to step in. And I also think big picture, it's a good job. It's a Big Ten job. The money flowing into the Big Ten the facilities they already have. Northwestern is going to be a job that I think will be able to bring in a viable candidate. I just don't think that process starts anytime now. I think that's later after next season.
0: It's not close to being over, but what is close to beginning or now has begun are the four new members in the Big 12. Let's run through a couple of them, and then we'll get the fellows' thoughts on. They, of course, include Houston BYU, UCF, and Cincinnati. We're going to hone in on the Cougars and the Cougars, who joined the Big 12 on July First, our Pete Thamel caught up with both head coaches, starting with Houston's Dana Holgerson.
1: Here with Houston coach Dana Holgerson, back in the Big 12, uh, taking his second team into the league. And, and I guess, Dana, to unlock this Houston program, which for 30 years has been trying to, to break out to its former self, how big is this opportunity in the Big 12? Well, it's it's uh, it's enormous. Isn't a difference in being a, a part of what you want to be a part of and being left behind, so to speak. So, um you know, I've you know, been there, done that, been 17 years in the Big 12, understand what it's all about. Um, you know, did a transition before, you know, going into my second transition. The, the, the fortunate news for the University of Houston is, is we've had a couple years lead into it. I think five to ten years from now, uh, I think Houston can be the premier Big 12 program. It is going to take some time like that, and it's something that we've wanted as an institution for a long time, and we have a chance to put our best foot forward to the point to where we can get there.
9: It's a big opportunity, and we're excited to be a part of it, you know, and the, uh, I think the, the most exciting part for me is the fans, and so I, I grew up a BYU fan, and uh, I think that part is more excited than, than the coach, you know, so I, I, I'm excited about the opportunities that we see with, with competition and, um, you know, and, and venues that we're going to play at, interaction with, with the teams that are going to be in the conference, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just looking forward to it. Just wanna, We've known this is going to happen for a couple of years now, and so I'm just glad it's here.
0: The Venues that they're going to play at is one thing, but I think all those teams going to Provo are going to find an amazing experience, one of the best atmospheres in all of college football. Sam, let's start with you. We're going to go school by school here for the two today, BYU and Houston. What does this move mean, Sam, for the Cougars, the BYU Cougars. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, definitely. Well, I think it's huge for BYU. Number one, you talk about they knew about this move coming for a while. Well, they've made some adjustments. They have 21 players coming in from the transfer portal. They lost their quarterback, Jaron Hall, to the NFL, got drafted by the Vikings. So what did they do? They went and got Keaton Slovis to play quarterback. And so I think there will be a – different type of offense that you'll see they've been historically like it's physical want to run you over type of offense well the big 12 isn't necessarily that way and so I think Keaton Slovis may help uh, change that but I'm excited for what BYU will be able to do I think it might be a struggle early on to adapt and adjust to the Big 12, but down the line they be able, may be able to make some noise in this conference.
8: Provo, one of the great venues in all of college football, and Houston, one of the great recruiting hotbeds in all of college football. And Talk with Dana Holgerson already today. He's already seen it. He's already seen the impact of selling that Big 12 brand is doing for him on the recruiting trail, so I think that aspect is going to be massive, big picture. I think Houston's going to be on the rise. I think this first year, there's going to be some lumps. There's going to be some struggles. Clayton Toon, longtime quarterback with a ton of success. He's gone inner Donovan Smith transfer comes in from Texas Tech 65 240 plus he's got a big arm but he's got to play more consistent defensively they've got an they got an outstanding young defensive coordinator and coach Belk but they struggled mightily last year they've got to get that defense fixed this year they use the transfer portal quite a bit i think that big again big picture Houston it's a great situation for them in the Big 12 but this upcoming season i could see them having some early struggles
0: All right, so from those two fellas, stand by. For those two new schools, we're going to talk about a couple of older schools in the Big 12. Kansas was great last year. TCU went all the way to the championship game. What are the odds? It wasn't a one-year wonder, and they've got some staying power. Plus, a preview of the SC feature documentary, The Speech. The story of the night of Jim Valvano's inspiring speech that came 30 years ago. We're back on College Football Live. You're looking at the College Football Playoff National Championship Trophy, presented by Dr. Pepper. We'll see you Reese Davis hands that to on a stage Monday, January 8th, 2024 in Houston, Texas. There was an opportunity to hand it to TCU last year and then the game started. You kind of know how that went. It's always sunny in Philadelphia and in Fort Worth, apparently. They finished second, as you know, in the final AP poll, but that 65 7 is still lingering. Kendall Bryles taking over as the OC. Garrett Riley is off to Clemson. Chandler Morris replaces Max Duggan. Remember, Morris had the job before Duggan last year. TCU dipped into the portal. Who doesn't? To get what they needed, Trey Sanders is going to be a huge addition. For them, take a look at the schedule. All you need to know is the first week they're taking on Dion in Colorado. Here they are, the national runner-up. And everything is going to be about their opponent. And for those of you that care, not that you may, some of you like to gamble, TCU about a 20-point favorite in that game. All right, fellas, let's roll into it. Dusty, let's start with you. TCU came out of nowhere last year. An encore for them looks like what?
8: I think they're going to be a good competitive team, but expecting them to be back in Arlington or playing for a college ball playoff, I think that's a bit much. Think about all the games TCU came from behind in and the walk-off finish in Waco. It was awesome to watch. Incredible in year one for Sonny Dykes. But to expect that again, it's going to be tough, and this is why. You're replacing so much your productivity Eight starters lost from a year ago. Max Duggan was magical. Quentin Johnston unguardable. And Kendra Miller, one of the biggest home run threats in the country. Now, look, the reality is Chandler Morris, he beat out Max Duggan last year and got hurt in that Colorado game. And he got to sit back and watch Max. So, I do think Chandler Morris, if he takes care of the ball, makes good decisions, is going to be in good shape. Trey Sanders at running back. John Paul Richardson, JoJo Earl at, at receiver coming in as transfers. They're going to replace some of that. But I just don't see how they replicate what they did last Yeah,
4: and I hear what you're saying, but then I go and look at the schedule, and the Colorado game, we'll see what happens in that game, but you start looking at that schedule and say, man, like I kind of like TCU in this matchup, and that matchup, and that matchup. Now, towards the end of the season, it's tough, and And so I think they'll be able to replicate at least early on, right? Colorado, we'll see what happens with Dion there, but Nichols, Houston, we don't know what they're going to be, SMU, West Virginia, a lot of those games are saying, man, uh, TCU should be fine, but then with Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma, and so... I'm excited to see, yes, offensively talk about the weapons, but defensively, yep. Josh Newton, he's an uh, all-American, uh, preseason all-American. I uh, also remember the AFCA All-State Good Works team. He's on the field, off the field, excellent. And when you watch his tape last year when he was uh, alongside Travis Hodges Tomlinson, he stood out as well. And so Josh Newton defensively number 24, a guy to be looking out for. But also I think Sonny Dykes is going to have this program ready to – not necessarily repeat their success, but at least be up there as they were before. Those
0: last five games are a bear, man. They, they are. They, they are. are big time. They are. They are. No question, fellas. You know what's funny about TCU is that they were under the radar for most of last season in the Big 12 because everybody was talking about Kansas and the hot start they got out to. Let's roll into some of the storylines here. With the Jayhawks coming up their best season since going 8-5 and five in 2008, there's reason for optimism. 85% of their production is back second most in the FBS Jalen Daniels looks to build a strong sophomore season that saw him ranked third in total QBR among FBS quarterbacks. He's been a dynamic playmaker for the Jayhawks and he is the preseason first team quarterback in the Big 12. When's the last time you thought you'd see that from from Kansas. It was like the old Todd Reising days. They're going to have to improve their defense allowing over 35 points per game and where you really saw the defense struggle for Kansas was towards the end of the season they started so well and really limped to the finish and certainly not a demerit Lance Leipold did an outstanding job so Sam let's start with you here on the Jayhawks Leipold is known as a guy that just takes over terrible situations and makes them better every step of the way what's in store for him with uh, this year at Kansas
4: well, I expect a lot more success. Obviously, they started off 5-0 and last year. Jalen Daniels was in that early Heisman conversation before injury. But if you just look at what this head coach has been able to do everywhere he's gone, go to Buffalo, turn that program around. He was at University of Wisconsin. Whitewater, turn that program around. I don't think anyone expected the type of success that we saw this early. But I think Kansas is going to be here to stay. They love to run the ball, and so they have a dynamic running attack, one of the tops in the nation, especially early on before some injuries. Right now, they ended the season ranked 39th. And so, running the ball is how they make their hay. Jalen Daniels is a huge part of that. But I expect this offense to be successful. This
8: offense should be one of the most explosive in the conference. And look, Lance Leipold, what he did was incredible. I mean, he inherited a problem from Les Miles, and in his second year, And he had a game day there against TCU, selling out Memorial Stadium and Lawrence. I'm going to build Lance Leipold a statue now. But I see them right around that six, maybe butting on that seven-win season. They're going to be tough for anybody. Jalen Daniels, if he can stay healthy, he's a problem. Devin Neal, returning 1,000-yard rusher. Highshaw was actually the leading rusher before he got hurt. He's back. Leipold's excited about him. All three leading pass receivers in Grimm and Arnold and Skinner. The offense is going to be a problem. That defense, they brought in a lot of transfers defensively, especially along the defensive line. If they can just be a little bit better, we could see an improvement in year number three for the Jayhawks.
0: Indeed. Fellas, stand by. We'll get back to you in just a little bit. But I want to mention that tonight are the ESPY Awards at 8 Eastern. Going to have some big-time performances and appearances. DeMar Hamlin, just great to see him back. Patrick Mahomes, Sue Bird, Michaela Schifrin, tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on your local ABC station. So that's tonight in July when the SBs normally are. But way back in the day, the SBs used to be in March. Flashback to March 4th, 1993, the best words maybe ever uttered at the annual celebration of sports came from our late great colleague Jim Valvano in the latter stages of his life. In this excerpt of the upcoming SC featured documentary called The Speech, we detail not the words, legendary words spoken by Valvano, but instead his fight that night to make it to the stage.
2: It's so important to know where you are. And I know where I am right now. How do you go from where you are to where you want to be? And I think you have to have an enthusiasm for life. You have to have a dream, a goal, and you have to be willing to work for it.
9: I looked at my script and my script said Jim Belvano was allocated two minutes to give his speech. My associate director, when the two minutes were getting close, Uh, started to give Jim the signal on the teleprompter that his time was ending and he should wrap up.
2: I talked about my family. My family is so important. People think I have courage. The courage of my family is my wife, Pam, my three daughters here, Nicole, Jamie, Leanne, my mom, who is right here, too.
9: And then the magic happened.
2: And that screen is flashing up there 30 seconds, like I care about that screen right now, huh?
4: I got, I got, I got tumors all over my body. I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds. Huh? You got a lot. Hey, Bonavola, buddy, you got a lot?
9: I remember the control booth basically exploding with laughter when he did that.
5: So the red
8: light was one of the best things that happened to the show because it made Jim's speech better and better.
9: I had to make the decision. Uh, do I play him off at the end of two minutes or do I keep going? If he went from two minutes to 11 minutes, there was no doubt in my mind I was not going to cut him off.
0: Probably a pretty good decision considering what that speech has meant over 30 years. This speech, the whole SE feature documentary tonight, 7 Eastern on ESPN, and then flip over to watch the ESPYs at 8 o'clock on your local ABC station. On the way over under simple give you a win total will these teams meet it exceed it or not get there we'll roll with the fellas when college football live continues we're back college football live two full days in arlington brent venables will be the 14th and final coach to speak tomorrow and then As Coach Spurrier used to say, talking season will come to an end. Let's actually talk about some football. Let's talk some win totals with the fellas back. Caesar Sportsbook provides us with the over-unders. Let's start, Sam, with you. Oklahoma State over-under, six on the nose.
4: Well, I'm going over for Oklahoma State. You look at Mike Gundy as a head coach, and I heard the phrase, you have to be consistently good to be great. Mike Gundy is consistently good. You look at the early schedule, Central Arkansas, Arizona State, South Alabama. All those are you consider winnable games. Obviously, we'll see how Iowa State is. Kansas State, I'm not so sure about that one. Kansas should be a good one, but I like the over on six for Oklahoma State.
8: I do, too. Look, you're right. Mike Gundy's a proven winner. But that schedule, I think it's one of the more favorable schedules in the entire Big 12. You get the four newbies at the end of the year, going to not have depth. They're going to be struggling down the stretch.
4: It's going to pay dividends for the Cowboys.
0: Baylor, Sam, over, under six and a half.
4: I'm going over for Baylor as well. Check their schedule out. The first four games are all home games. That's a huge win for Baylor. They have eight total home games. You've seen it. Texas State, Utah, Texas in those first four. There will be some challenges. Utah is a good football team, but playing at home matters. So I like the over, especially early on for this team.
8: Are you cheating off of me? You just keep taking my (laughs) answers. I have the over on Baylor as well, and it's because I think Dave Aranda is going to bounce back this season. And Baylor in odd years you go back to twenty. Uh, you go back to ni- twenty nineteen. Yeah. They played in a Big Twelve championship. Twenty twenty one. They won a Big Twelve championship. I'm not saying they're getting here, but they're going over that win total, Zubin.
0: All right, Sam. Here comes the big one. Texas, the preseason favorite, on the way out the door. Over under for them is a robust nine and a half.
4: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be robustly over with that number as well. I understand the loss of, of Gary Patterson as the special assistant, Everyone to call him to the head coach. That defensive presence will struggle. But offensively, this is one of the best off, best wide receiver rooms in all of college football. If Isaiah Nayor from Wyoming transferred last year gets healthy, you have Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, this offense will be special.
8: I, I agree. I can't, I can't disagree. I'm going over. Look, that Alabama game is going to be tough. I got that as a loss. But I think Texas, for real, there's a reason they're picked to win the Big 12 for the first time since 2009. They've got the most talent in the league. And I think Jalen Ford defensively, you couple him with Anthony Hill, true freshman linebacker, is going to be a superstar. I think not only the offense is going to shine, the
4: defense will, too, in Austin.
0: Last one here, Sam. Houston, first year in the league, over-under is five.
4: Yeah, I'm going under on Houston. You talked about it. First year in the league. You even heard their head coach, Dana Holgerson, say, it's going to take us some time. Give us a few years. Right, UTSA, UTSA. people love to sleep on them. That's one of the best teams in the Conference USA and one, one of the top-ranked teams in the nation. So that'll be a struggle. TCU early on. Obviously, ending with Oklahoma State and UCF. I like the under for University of I've got to
8: cover my answers more moving forward <laughs> because I have under, too. It doesn't make for great TV when we're just always agreeing. But he's right. I just think there's too much turnover. That defense is problematic for Houston. Donovan Smith, I like him. But will he be ready? Year number one. I don't think so. I'm going under for Dana Holgerson, the Cougs.
0: And I'll just mention as a quick note, BYU is even a tick below them at 4.5. Fellas, thank you very much on the way here on College Football Live. Looking ahead to day two, the final day of Big 12 Media Days. We'll do that quickly when we return on College Football Live. All right, here's what's on the docket tomorrow at Big 12 Media Day. Chris Kleiman will get out there at 10:15 a.m. Eastern. Then Malzahn, Joey McGuire, Scott Satterfield, Neil Brown, Matt Campbell. And as I mentioned earlier, Brent Venables will wrap things up in front of the assembled media at 12.50 p.m. Eastern. College Football Live is back tomorrow night, 7 Eastern, on ESPN2. Hope to see you then.